Hello and welcome to the Sail Loot Podcast, where we share our adventures of the sea and help to achieve that cruising life that sets us free. I'm Teddy J, and this is podcast episode 44 with Ryan Rayfield on Sail Libra. I know it's hard for people to get off for 20 days. I mean, I had a job. I know what it's like. And so I feel like if I can keep my legs a, a little shorter, then I'll have a lot more clientele that I can reach out to that'll be able to go with me. Yeah. Um, if you know, if, if I'm running a 20-day trip, I mean, I'd love to have you on my boat for 20 days because you'd learn a ton of stuff. But it's hard for everybody to get off for 20 days. Right. You know, you, you got to be pretty much retired if you get off work for 20 days. Thank you all so much for listening. As always, the listeners are absolutely amazing. Um, it, it hasn't been so long this time since I got a podcast out. I just released a podcast about a week ago. Uh, I've got a few more queued up, lined up, um, recorded, ready to go. I uh, Hopefully I can keep the pace up in 2017. I've started off uh, well in 2017, and uh, we'll see what I can do. So I'm glad I could get this one out to you guys. Uh, I, you know, and that's, I, you just heard a little clip from Ryan about being able to, um, you know, get out there. People, people that have jobs and all that other stuff. Like he, his maximum duration of a trip basically is eight days. Um, and, you know, usually they're three to five days of a sale uh, is how long it takes. And if, if everything works out, that I got to talk to Ryan a little bit. He's um, in the middle of the Gulf right now, coming back from uh, Key West. Uh, to, he's going to Pensacola. I've got to I've got to work a few things out, but I think I'm gonna try and get on the boat uh, to go with him from Pensacola to Miami for the Strictly Sail Miami Boat Show. Uh, if you guys want to join us, I highly encourage you to join me for that sale. And in fact, you listen to the rest of the episode at the end, I will uh, let you in on a little way to get a little bit of a discount. Not only will I be on the boat, but Annie and Philip from Have Wind Will Travel will also be on the boat. Um, like I said, I got to work a few things out. I think I will be there. Um, and, but if you want to join, head on over to sailelibra.com slash join dash a dash sale. Of course, that link, all of the links, every link that is mentioned in this episode will be listed for you. If you just head on over to sailloot.com slash episode 044, those are the show notes for this episode. And uh, as always, uh, you can you can find Ryan from there. You can find Sail Libra from there and uh, everything mentioned in this episode. So... Here, normally when I, you know, say something about, uh, hey, how everybody asks if there are ways that you can help support the Sail Loot podcast, what I'm going to do is just say, hey, share this. Share this to everyone that you know anyway. And if they're looking at going sailing, um, here's a discount for you guys. Here's a discount for all the listeners, right? And so if you want to go on an offshore sailing trip on an amazing 60-foot one-off custom Bill Trip Jr. designed boat, then I'll get you a little bit of a discount for that if you listen to the end of the podcast and the outro and all that other stuff. So Ryan is 
awesome. I love the fact that he's 38 years old and he's been doing this for 10 years and he has found a way to get out of the cubicle, get out from behind the desk uh, and uh, get out there sailing in order to uh, make his sailing money and make his sail loot. And, um, you know, he's he's worked at it, though. Uh, he didn't start off by just buying a huge boat. And in fact, you know, he started off doing it with spending very little money actually on the boat on his uh, Irwin 37 that he uses in the summertime to do day sail charters in Orange Beach. But I I don't need to tell you all about that because it's in uh, the amazing talk that Ryan and I had that I have got for you right now. All right. Uh, this is Teddy and this is a Salute podcast and I am on Skype right now with Ryan Rayfield who uh, is running at the moment um, Sail Libra and doing some offshore sales from where are you located? Orange Beach, Florida, or is it Alabama? Yeah, I mean, I mean, actually in Orange Beach, Alabama, right. uh, but we're just you know stones throw from the state line, and so Pensacola is about thirty miles uh, just east of me. Right. Okay. Gotcha. Um. So I. I don't want to. So you've been on some podcasts and stuff like that with Jeffrey uh, Wedig of the um, Shooting the Breeze podcast, and maybe you've done a few others. I don't want to like um, you know regurgitate every single thing that was said there. So we're gonna we're gonna try yeah, and sure. uh, mix it up a little bit. Uh, let me let me ask you a quick question. How how old are you? I'm 38. You're 38. So you're my age. You're 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 pretty young guy um you're a year older than me i guess but um and how long have you been running uh you know so not you don't only run sail libra you also run orange beach sailing adventures is that correct yeah orange beach sailing adventures i've been doing that now for uh 2017 will be my 10th season okay so coming up on my 10th season yeah so you've been doing this for uh, and, and you you plan on continuing to do that, correct? Orange Beach, like in the, oh, yeah, in the summertime? Yeah. yeah. Right. Uh, in, the, in the summertime, because we're in hurricane season, so it just uh, it just makes sense not to be roaming the uh, the North Atlantic Oceans and the Caribbean while uh, hurricane season is going on. Right. No, I totally agree. Um, so, I mean, just to the listeners out there, I guess, you know, the Salute podcast, I, I try to, you know, um, find ways like like me i'm I'm kind of searching for my way of a how do i afford to be sailing cruising you, you know or living living a life that's not necessarily in a cubicle um or living from wherever i want to live and doing what i want to do and having fun while possibly finding an income at doing that and um so exactly. all, all that is said because you know i look at you and i say you're a so you were what 28 27 28 years old when you started orange beach sailing adventures yeah i was i was in my late 20s and uh and it was really uh just almost out of necessity that i that i started it um you know i had a boat that i bought in charleston south carolina it was mm -hmm. an Irwin 37 right and i bought that uh you know several years before i actually went into business um and that was really my first, you know, large sailboat. Right. Um, of course, I look at it now and I think, man, I'm, I'm riding around on a canoe, you know, after getting Libra. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, the uh, 
the funny story was, was, uh, you know, I had lived in Highland and, and got my feet wet doing deliveries and charters down there while I was still working at my regular job, which at the time was Delta airlines. Right. Um, so when I, when I got married, uh, my wife's from Thailand, we, uh, we got married over there, got married over here. Uh, just, I had the water in my blood and we were living in Atlanta, uh, same place you are, just south. I lived in Noonan. Okay, yeah, um, I know. And I would, I know where Noonan is for sure. Yeah, yeah. I, when I was commuting back and forth to the uh, to the Atlanta campus there, just kind of by the airport, I was uh, in one of the executive buildings. You know, it wasn't at the airport, but it was you know on the campus there. Right. And you know, thirty forty five minute drive to go to work. You know, you sit in your cube, you stare at your computer. You know, you're answering emails, you're doing things. And but for some reason, I always had in my head. It's like, man, I, I don't really want to be here. I mean, I had a really great job. Don't get me wrong. And I and the benefits that it provided for me, I probably wouldn't be here now if it wasn't for that job. Right. So I'm, I'm very I'm very thankful that I got that job, that it led me down this road. Sure. Well, I mean, so you go through that a little bit in uh in the shooting the breeze podcast with Jeffrey, as in, uh, I, I know you explained that it was a, well, so we, you were living in Atlanta or in, or in Noonan after you were in Thailand, correct? A, and you were able to be in yeah. Thailand because you worked in kind of the it department for Delta. It, yeah, exactly. I was just doing uh, you know, break fix technical support type stuff at airport and city ticket office locations. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, printer breaks, we either send a new one out, or uh, if the people there aren't able to install it, then I would fly over and, you know, install it. You know, I'd send the printer a few days ahead of time. They'd get it, and I'd fly down and and and, and put it in. And that, and that was all over Southeast Asia. So it wasn't just in Thailand where I was fixing things. I was just based in Thailand, and I traveled all over Southeast Asia. Right. Um, you know, kind of break-fix type stuff. And everywhere from basically Tokyo South was my uh, – was my region that I would cover and and it was great. I mean, it was a, uh, it was a good experience. Uh, um, you know, made really money doing it. Uh, and that's why when I came back to Atlanta, I was able to afford to buy a boat. Uh, just, just at the time I was just thinking, you know, I'm going to get a boat to kind of satisfy my desire to get out on the water. Right. And I had, and I had ties kind of to orange beach, Alabama. My grandparents lived down here. Okay. Uh, you know, I grew up in the area, uh, on and off visiting them. And that's where uh, that's where I said, well, you know, this is a great place down here. There's good sailing. Let's just put it together, and I'll get a boat and keep it at a friend's house. And then, you know, really, basically, the rest is history from there because it wasn't but about two years of me owning the boat that I finally just threw my hands up in the air and said, I'm not going back to my cube. Right. Yeah, I got gotcha. you. Um, but so you bought the boat. It was in Charleston when you bought this Irwin 37. What, yeah. It, what's the it, name? It was in Charleston. It wasn't in the best of shape. Um, so what happened was I put it on a truck and had it shipped down to Pensacola, uh, which okay. in itself was an expensive endeavor. You know, when you get into this, these kind of things, you never know exactly how much things are going to cost. So I, for my first boat, I paid about 22,000, something like that for this Irwin 37. Mm-hmm. And then it cost me about another six to have it moved. Okay. So wow. that was a little, eye opener there sure because it's not just moving it you know you have to pay the yard on both sides so you have to pay a yard to take the mass down take all the rigging off load it on a trailer and 
and I wasn't even around for the part where they loaded it, you know, dismasted and loaded it and everything like that. I just kind of let them handle it because I figured I'd be a, a basket case watching them do it. <laughs> and, you know, just, just leave that to the professionals. You know, you want to tear my boat in half and then put it on a trailer. And then the guy drove it the, you know, eight, 800 miles or so down to Pensacola. Then the whole process starts over again. So they put, they put Humpty Dumpty back together again. Right. And, you know, we kind of fine tuned the rigging and, and I drove it the 25 miles or so over to where, I was docking at the time in Orange Beach. So, and, you know, during that time we learned out, you know, cause I didn't have a full survey done on the boat, uh, before I bought it just cause I said, well, if I was buying a hundred thousand dollar boat or a $50,000 boat, you know, a survey to me, you know, surveys are based on the value of the boat. You know, you don't want to go spend a thousand dollars on a $15,000 boat or $20,000 boat in my opinion. Right. Um, if you're semi mechanically inclined and can kind of figure things out. Uh, but when we, we did get it out of the water and I saw it in Pensacola and it had a little crack in the, uh, it's an encapsulated keel uh, on those boats. So there was a little crack in the keel and I didn't really worry about it for the first two seasons. Uh, but then it was actually a leak in the boat where it would, you know, go to the bilge and it would pump overboard. And when I hauled it out another time, uh, a couple of years later, we actually ended up cutting most of that encapsulated keel away and then re-glassing the whole bottom of the boat. So that was a, that was a learning experience there. Had I hauled the boat out before I bought it, I probably wouldn't have bought it. Gotcha. So you, you might've, well, so what did you learn? I guess is the question that you might always haul a boat out and get some, or get some sort of survey yeah, done just, or yeah. maybe do one yourself. Yeah, At least like, you know, even do it, even to do it yourself, just, you know, at least pick it up out of the water and like, look at the keel to make sure that it's there. <laughs> you know, I never even, I never even did that. You know, we went out and sailed it around. Everything, everything seemed to be fine with it. Um, and when I say there was a crack in the keel, it was probably about an inch and a half, two inches long. Mm-hmm. Uh, just looked like where somebody had, you know, either hit a reef or hit something pretty hard at, at some point or grounded it. And, uh, but after we fixed it, I mean, it was, you know, it's, it's basically, it's better than new now. Sure. Um, but that was, still, that was still another four or $5,000 project there me doing half the work and then another, uh, you know, skilled fiberglass technician type boatyard person that was doing the, the actual layup and everything like that. So, you know, all in all in my $20,000 boat, I probably had 35,000 by the time I got it, you know, ready to be safe and in charter service. You know, that was the, that was the big deal was just getting everything ready. And of course I redid, you know, redid the inside, refurnish everything, um, new electronics, checking all the steering, just all the things that you would typically do when you buy a boat, you know, you have all those dreams of everything that you want to install and put on it. And since it was just going to be my personal boat and I had, you know, ideas of bouncing around the Gulf coast down to the keys and things like that, which I ended up doing on that boat. Um, but those are the things, you know, you, there's always something that you can buy for your boat. Sure. Sure. There's, there's, they come out with, you can look through a catalog and just go through there. Like you're a, like you're a six-year-old with a, uh, a Sears catalog, if they still had Sears, yeah. <laughs> but you could go through there and pick out all the things you wanted and circle them, you know, and hopefully Santa will bring them to you. Right. Um, but in this, in my case, it was just me. Uh, you know, I, I would, I would browse defender, uh, the defender website and just look at all this stuff that you could get for boats. And I wanted all of it. So, um, which is like most people, you know, you just, you just start browsing and start, start thinking about how you could use things. And I rewired the whole boat during that time. This was the first few years that I owned it rewired everything uh just didn't like the way that they had the setup done and so for me my first boat was really a a a large educational experience on what it takes to take a boat that's not in great shape 
and then bring it back to life to where people walked up, you know, walk up to it and go, wow, this is great. And then, and now it's 40 years old. Right. So when people look at it now, they're going, man, this thing's 40 years old. looks like it's brand new. Sure. Well, I mean, that's because I've spent, you know, 12 years basically working on this thing to, uh, to get it into the condition it's in now. A boat is a never ending project that you can always throw money at. Absolutely. Absolutely. So do you, what was the name of this boat? Uh, when I originally bought the boat, the name of the boat was no ice. Okay. And I can only assume that it was named that because the guy never wanted to go anywhere where it may even remotely be cold. <laughs> okay. <laughs> gotcha. So he spent, the guy I bought it from spent several years in the Bahamas with it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, you know, after that he came back to uh, the Carolinas and got a girlfriend and, you know, had to end up putting it up for sale. So, and, uh, do you still own the boat? I do still own the boat. Uh, it's my primary boat in my summertime fleet. So we have two boats now. Sure. Um, we have a Beneteau 35 and then the Irwin 37. Now the Beneteau 35 is not mine. It's a, a good friend of mine's that works with me in the summer. Mm-hmm. So we have enough business, uh, in the summer months to where I can't run all the trips. So he came to me and said, look, I know you're busier than you really want to be. Uh, you know, do you want me to run your trips? And we came up with agreement where basically he gets a percentage of the trip and he runs it. Right. Um, and it works out great because then he maintains his own boat. I don't have another boat that I'm having to take care of. So it's a win-win for everybody. Sure. Now does he, uh, you know, do you guys, uh, what, what is, what is no ice's name now? No ice's name now is sail OB. Okay, cool. So and the OB is for orange, right? So, right and my website sailob.com is which it's, so they kind of turned into a marketing thing when I named the boat. I said, well, let's name it the, you know, let's name it the charter business. Sure. And, uh, and it's worked out. So it's, 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 it's kind of gets you. I, I kind of like it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, of course, everybody on the radio, everybody, when I call them on the radio, they're like, say live V. I'm like, it's no, it's not say live V. It's sail OB. Sail OB. Gotcha. And okay. So do you just run? So you yourself, do you only, captain on sail ob and your buddy um captains all the trips that are on uh the ben it's a beneteau 35 right is that what you said right yeah Yeah, so so we have a a booking girl right that answers all the phones phone calls that come in because we're in a in the summertime we're in a pretty heavy trafficked uh i hate to call it a tourist area but it is Mm -hmm. we always like to call them visitors it just sounds better yeah but uh all the tourists that come to this area we have i mean it's like friday you know traffic's backed up about 10 miles everybody's trying to get down here and get to the beach uh for their week stay during the summer um so we have a ton i mean when i when i say a ton i mean the population just explodes down here during those 100 days of summer and we have more phone calls than we can deal with but then again, there's, you know, 20 dolphin cruise boats around here that are all multi-passenger, mm-hmm. right? So they're carrying anywhere from 25 to 65 people doing dolphin cruises every day. So there, there's a lot of water activities uh, that people choose from when they come down here. And there are other multi-passenger sailboats in the area, too. Uh, we have a, a large catamaran in the area that, that carries 49, mm-hmm. um, you know, just like all the cats down in the Caribbean, right? So. 
And then I think that cat's actually built in St. John somewhere down there. It's a, uh, I don't remember the name in a minute, but they was built in the Caribbean with a 70 something foot mast. Of course they moved it up here and our bridge that gets right. us into the Gulf is only five. So they had to cut their mast off and all this other stuff to get their boat operational. So it could actually go in the Gulf. Uh, and then there's some other, uh, monohull sailboats that are multi-passenger. Um, but what was missing when I started my business was private sales, a way for a family to go and do a private sale. So my whole business was based on an uninspected vessel, uh, which just basically means six passengers or less. Right. So if you want to carry more than six passengers in the Coast Guard world, then you have to be an inspected vessel. And they do all these things every year and you have, you're subject to all of these different inspections. Um, with an uninspected vessel, you can carry them on anything. Uh, you know, as long, as long as you don't carry more than six paying passengers, you're good. You can, as long as you meet all the requirements as far as your license and your life jackets and your fire equipment things, your normal boating things, as long as you meet all those requirements, then you're good to go. So I set my business up as a six pack and then I also priced out my trips to where, uh, it's going to be affordable for the consumer to go on the trip, but I'm also going to make money too. Right. So, and then when you figure in, you know, there's a lot of gratuity, the gratuity that goes around in day sale charter business. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, after you figure in all your tips and trip money and everything else for the day, you know, I can make 1500 bucks in a day sure. you know, and, and up. Right. So, and that's there in the summer months and that's when it's busy and, and that's without the other boat running too. So when it starts to run, you know, things go up from there. Um, but that was my, my goal was to basically do about a, a thousand bucks a day when I started. Right. So if I could do a thousand bucks a day, you know, roughly for several months, then I could, I could make a living off of it. Right. Now, and would, that's what I, that was my goal. Would you do that every day? Uh, during the summer, as long as it doesn't rain, yeah, I can do it every day. Wow. Okay. And so, yeah, I'm seeing, um, I went over to your, you know, saleob.com and your website and I'm seeing, so will you do like two, two hour sales in a day sometimes? I'll do six, two hour sales in a day. Oh, okay. Oh, gotcha. All right. Great. Yeah. Um, yeah. I started, I started eight o'clock in the morning. Uh, because a lot of the people that I take out on my day sale operation are families. They're all families. Mm -hmm. um, so we'll start at eight in the morning and typically in the morning, I'll always put families with smaller children on right? just because it's calmer. Uh, you know, the sea conditions are calmer. The bay is calmer. It's, it's easier to see dolphins. We do have a ton of dolphins in the area. Um, and they are, you know, even though I don't advertise a dolphin cruise, like let's go see dolphins, like some of the other people in the area that do advertise those types of cruises. I focus mainly on sailing, and then if we happen to see a dolphin, that's just a plus. Right. Um, so we see them probably seventy-five to eighty-five percent of the time, but I tell them before we leave, you know, if they're when they were on the when they're on the dock and they're already asking about dolphins, I I have to put it straight to them and say, you know, you know, you're not on a dolphin cruise, you're on a sailboat cruise. This is more about, you know, going with the wind and and being a little bit more relaxed. Um, and then you know, two hours is perfect for kids. So if you have kids under the age of eight, mm -hmm. uh, for one, they're required to wear a life jacket, right. um, just state regulation. They have to, they have to be in a vest. So after two hours, those vests get a little hot, especially when it's 115 degrees out here sure. uh, in the summertime. Um, so always do smaller kids in the morning. And then in the afternoon we have what's called our adventure cruises and we'll either do a two hour or a four hour adventure cruise. And we'll do those 12 to two or 12 to four. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, and we'll on the four hours, we'll typically stop and swim or, you know, we'll drag lines behind the boat while we're out in the Gulf and try to catch a fish. We'll bring it up. I'll let you kiss it. You can pet it. <laughs> and then we'll just throw them back overboard. Um, but the four hours, I really do enjoy those. Uh, and, but then again, that's typically for older kids, right? So now you're looking at kids that are, they're 10, 12 years old plus that can actually be on a boat for four hours and not just get completely bored because they're going six or seven miles an hour. Right. Um, you know, as they're watching all the speed boats fly by, it doesn't bother them as it does the two year old. Sure. Uh, yeah. And then we have our sunset cruises. (laughs) Excuse me. Okay. And then the sunset cruise runs till dark. Yeah. So then, then after the end of the sunset cruise, since we only have one sunset a day, I mean, right. I wish we had more, uh, <laughs> but the one sunset cruise a day, uh, you know, we get a premium price for that. So we're charging, uh, I think right now we're charging four twenty five for a two hour sunset cruise. Gotcha. Um, so, so if I fill my day up with two hour, I mean, the most I can do in a day, uh, is five, two hour trips. Mm-hmm. And then a two-hour sunset trip. Right. And on those days, with tips and everything, I, I can actually push it over two grand for the day. Sure. So you basically, but your your deal is you rent the whole boat out at one time. Like you yeah, don't really do per person stuff so much, do you? No. Yeah, it's not a, it's not a per person. You book the boat. I mean, it doesn't matter to me whether you have two people or mm-hmm. six people. It's the same price. It, it, it costs the same for me to run. No matter what, you know, we provide drinks and snacks like that for free, but you know, you can't really munch down that much stuff on a two hour trip. Um, so yeah, you're, you're renting the boat, um, and you're renting it just for your group and you're paying for your privacy. So I know that there's people out there that don't want to go on a boat with 45 other people. Right. I mean, they just don't want to do it. You know, they're, they're, they're going to make their call based on what kind of experience that they think that they're going to have. And as long as I can guarantee them that it's just going to be them on the boat, they're fine with it. Right now, the one difference to that is on our sunset cruises, because not everybody, if you're a couple and you're here on an anniversary or a birthday or something like that, and you just want a nice evening out, you don't have kids, you know, you're looking for something that's easy. That's a way I do a shared sunset trip. Those shared sunset trips, I'll take three couples. Mm-hmm. They're always adult couples and, and those are priced per person. And those are, I think they're $90 a person now. So you know, and you fill up a shared sunset trip with six uh, six guests. You know, now you're looking at almost six hundred bucks for a two two and a half hour trip. Right. Yeah. No, that's great. Uh, I mean, and so have you been kind of running it this way ever since you started ten years ago? Ever since I started ten years ago, our prices have gone up over the past uh, oh, probably sure. three years, just incrementally. Yeah. Um. But I always said, if I ever get a shared sunset trip that there's only one couple booked on I'm going anyway. Right. Because I'm still going to make 200 bucks. Right. Um, so I'm not just going to throw away $200 just because I don't have the other two couples booked. I always wanted to price myself to where whatever trip I can take, I'm going. Right. Yeah, for sure. And so you started this after going back and forth from Atlanta so many times. And when you were going back and forth from Atlanta, you would, I mean, were you just down in Orange Beach every weekend, basically, trying to, you know, go sailing? Yeah, basically every weekend I was either working on the boat or uh, thinking of another project to work on the boat mm-hmm. or trying to, you know, get out there and just sail the boat and just have a good time, which we were able to do quite a bit because I've always been the guy, you know, I've, 
I've been around the marinas enough to know that there's a lot of boats that just sit there. Right. And I, I, I didn't ever want to be in that category. Right. So I want, if I was going to own a boat, then I wanted to be able to use it. Sure. And that was really where the charter operation came into play because when I did bite the bullet and I finally said, you know what, being in Atlanta and doing what I'm doing now in my career is just not for me mm-hmm. because I was in the cube. Right. Right. And all I did in the cube was look, all I did in cube was look at yacht world, right. just browse <laughs> yeah. yacht world. You know, I'm, I'm, burn, I'm burning up Delta's dime looking at yacht world. Sure. Um, so I decided that, you know, I'm not, uh, being very, uh, beneficial to the company. I, I'm not, my heart's not anymore. I don't feel like I should be here. So I just made a conscious decision and said, you know what, let's go down the orange beach. I'm going to start a little computer consulting firm down here mm-hmm. and then we'll see how it goes. And that's basically what happened. And of course I did that at the worst time economically ever. You know, this is 2005. <laughs> right. The economy starting to slip 2006 slips a little more 2007, the bottom falls out. And that's basically when I started doing everything. So when I got down here, my computer business was kind of already in the toilet, but even before I started it, just because businesses weren't spending any money. Sure. Um, and now I've got like the big white elephant down at the dock, right? I've got this boat that is draining me every month. I mean, I'm paying slip rent because I had already moved it from my friend's house over to, over to a regular dock. Right. So I'm paying slip rent, paying insurance, I'm paying all this stuff and I'm not getting any kind of return out of anything. So I, for honestly, for a while, for several months, I thought, well, the best thing for me to do is to just sell the boat, you know, and, and, and just kind of start fresh and get my business going again in the computer world and doing all this other stuff. And then I had a brainstorm and I said, well, you know, I've been on the water since I was, you know, born basically. I mean, I, we've lived on lakes and I've water skied and had little sunfish sailboats ever since I was about four or five years old. Um, so I said, well, I've got plenty of time you know, to go and get my captain's license because, you know, all of your time counts from, for your initial license from when you're 15 years old. Sure. And so I had no, no, I had no problem gaining days, you know, or documenting days and vessels that I was on for that amount of time. And so I just went and got my captain's license. Took about six months. Okay. You know, you go take a few little tests. Uh, It's not a big deal. So you didn't have your captain's license over in, um, Thailand. I did not have my captain's license in Thailand. No. Okay. But I was never, I was never, I was always a hired mate. I was never a, uh, I was never a captain. Okay. So, so you I would was help, never, you would help a captain. Yeah. Okay. Right. Do those right. deliveries. I, I gotcha. Was a, I was more of a, more of a guide to where I'd say, don't run over that fishing net. Sure. Um, or you know, things like that. I was more of a navigational aid than, uh, than anything else. Or, yeah, okay. So you were talking with Jeffrey about the fact that you had gone back and forth to these areas a few times, so you knew the way in and out. And, exactly. you know, the, so you'd be on there telling the captain w- which way to go so that he didn't hit anything, kind of. Exactly, yeah, basically. basically. <laughs> and, you know, most of the time they just knew what was going on, but it's always nice to have somebody that's been with you. Right. Um. Yeah. I mean, these, these guys were, you know, like I was telling Jeffrey, these, these were, these were big oysters and Benetos and, sure. yeah, uh, you know, I mean, these were some uh, bigger boats and I think the biggest one I was on was about a hundred foot and I basically just sat in the corner and enjoyed the ride. I didn't really do anything. Right. Um, but those, those situations that I was in over there was probably, probably in the neighborhood of somewhere like 40 trips, maybe 50. Yeah. 
But they, um, they all counted for your time, too, right, though, right? For your captain's license. Oh, sure. Yeah. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. They all count for your time. As long as you're on the boat, you can document it, you're good. Right. So, but I've had enough, yeah, I had enough time when I was, um, even just, even in this area growing up, I had enough time, uh, you know, power boats count. Sure. It really doesn't matter what kind of boat you're on. You have to have so many days under sail to get your sailing endorsement. Right. On your captain's license was not a problem there. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, I was way over days uh, as far as, you know, getting those. And, and, you know, like a day is four hours in the Coast Guard's mind. Um, so it doesn't matter if you're on the water for 24 hours. That doesn't give you six days. You know, it's still only just one day. Right. Yeah. No, a four-hour yeah. and a 24-hour. Right. Yeah, I got so, you. So, yeah, licensing, licensing, really the e- licensing was the easiest part. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then after I had my license, then you start getting your boat ready. And then you start doing your marketing right? and then your business slowly starts to progress. And I really probably hit, you know, my biggest numbers about my third year in, uh, doing my day sale, day sale stuff. Gotcha. And that was when I realized I was like, man, this, this, it really will work. It's not just uh, money that I'm making on the side. It's money that I can use to actually support my family. And then we actually, we had a small child, you know, we had a baby at the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, then several years later, we had another one. So now I have two kids. They're six and eight years old now. Oh, cool. Um, so they've grown up, they've grown up in the industry. They, 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 you know, daddy's got to go to work. All right. Well, he's going down to the dock. Right. A lot of times they'll be down here at the dock, you know, playing and swimming off the dock while sure. I'm out on a charter and I come back and they're all hanging out, which is, which is a really cool way to grow up in my mind. You yeah. know, I, I grew up on a lake. They're kind of getting to grow up in a bay. So it's, it's really nice. Yeah, that's great. And so, uh, you know, how, how did you, st- uh, did you start, did you still have your computer consulting business when you started running the charter? You know, you said your three year mark was kind of your best year when you knew that it would work. Like, what yeah, did you do for marketing? I, I did, did you build was, a website? Were you yeah. handing out flyers? Were you, you know, all of the above? <laughs> Man, we did, I did everything. I had, I had teenagers running, uh, running cards up and down the beach, hand them out. I had, I had, you know, we did websites, several different websites. I, uh, um, worked with some of the other, this is a big, uh, charter fishing area too. Sure. Um, so I had some good friends in that, in that business that were very successful. So I started piggybacking off of their clientele and their customers. Um, and they would, they would refer me to something to do that wasn't fishing that was water related. Um, so I got a lot of referral business just from having, you know, friends in, in the industry, um, we, I mean, I'm, I've done everything from TV advertising on these, uh, you know, local channels where they just kind of highlight all the activities that are available in the area sure. to radio advertising. Uh, I kind of, for the first several years, you don't really know what works a lot. And if you, and for me, and I'm not a big gambler, but I believe in gambling a little bit with marketing, as long as you know, you're not definitely throwing your money away. Right. Uh, so, so I kind of, I kind of put a little bit into everything as far as TV, radio, rack cards, you know, there's uh, distributors that have rack cards located in all the condos and everything. And you'll sign up with a distributor and then they're the ones that go and put your cards in, in all these places. Because if you had to do it yourself, you'd never get to be on the boat because you're constantly putting cards out in all these hotels and condo locations. Um, either that or you just don't sleep, right. which a lot of the time I didn't feel like I got to sleep anyway. <laughs> uh, and then we finally got, you know, say, you know, three, three to four years into it, I finally got to where I was running, you know, probably four days a week. I would run the, those 12 hour days mm-hmm. and our busiest time is the middle of the week. Weekends are the slowest. Really? Um, because 
people are coming in and out of town on the weekend. Gotcha. And they're here doing all their activities during the week. So it's it's really backwards from a lot, a lot of other markets where a lot of people come in on the weekend and nobody's there during the week. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I mean, I mean, that sounds that sounds fantastic. And so uh, I guess so one of the questions that I asked was, were you also still doing your computer business or you, were you kind of trying to run both at first? Or yeah, no? at first I was I was running both. I, I was doing both and that got me, I was doing websites and I was doing design and I was doing some other things uh, during those times. Mm-hmm. Um, and I did, I was at, at Delta, I was a, a C sharp developer toward the end. I had That's a lot it. of different positions. I wore a lot, a lot of hats. Yeah. Uh, you know, you're with a company that long, you learn a lot of skills. So when I came down here, I was doing uh, .NET development. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, and then shortly after the smartphones and things kind of started coming into place, so I started to do a little bit of mobile, uh, mobile app development. Sure. Um, and it just, but for some reason, I mean, I was making okay money at it, but it wasn't just flowing off, off the shelves. And, and part of the reason that it wasn't was because my heart wasn't in it. Right. Um, I was just so burned out on computers and I wanted to be on the water so bad that whatever I could do to get the project done, mm-hmm. I was going to do it. Right. Um, I mean, don't get me wrong. I wasn't, you know, pushing crap out the door. Um, but I just, I just really didn't want to be in an office behind a cube. And I've, you know, I moved from the one in Atlanta and I opened up an office down here and I had the same cube, you know, looked the same, smelled the same, everything else. <laughs> right. Except, except this time it was mine. And I was like, why did I put myself back in prison? Yeah. Um, so, so I was doing that. And finally there was this one day where I said, you know what? I'm not taking on any more clients because that was getting a little bit out of control because just the referral business, people are saying, okay, we'll go, you know, Ryan can do this for you. Ryan can do that for you. And I could, and I would sit down and have these consultations with people. And, uh, and I tell you toward the end of my career doing that, I was just like, you really don't want me doing it. <laughs> and then I, luckily I had, I, luckily I had met another guy that was doing it. And I just started passing all of my stuff, uh, all of my customers off to him. And I started slowly transitioning all of my basically monthly or residual income that I was making off these clients just on a support basis. Uh, and I said, Hey, this is your new guy and your new guy is going to start taking care of you. And he's going to start sending you your monthly bill. And I basically almost was able to wash my hands a hundred percent. I had just probably had a half a dozen clients that I kept on and I kept them on for about four or five more years, just recently kind of getting rid of my last one, my last biggest one last year. Um, when I started putting Libra into, uh, into full operation. So just because I don't have, I'm either working on the boat. Or I'm, you know, piloting the boat somewhere. We're getting ready for a passage, so I don't have time. Especially when I'm offshore so much now, right? I don't have time to take a call from somebody and figure out a problem for you. For one, I'm doing other things, uh, and for two, I mean, it, it's just not going to be beneficial for you. So you need somebody that can focus more on your computer business than I can. So that's why I started pushing people over to a buddy of mine. I said he's great. He can do it. He knows everything I know. Please use him. Right. Gotcha. Now, um, so when did Libra come into play? How long have you had Libra in this uh, in this whole scene? Well, for this December, what we're sitting right now, I've had the boat for three years. Okay. Um, so, so has Libra been I've, in the in the in the day sail fleet too, or no? Not, you know what? Not really. We tried this last summer to do a more executive style. Mm-hmm. 
Um, but remember, it's still a it's still a six pack because it's an uninspected vessel. Right. So Coast Guard regulations that can still only carry six passengers. Well, you're carrying six passengers on a sixty foot boat, and it takes a crew of three or four to to even get it out of the slip. Yeah. So gotcha. Um, and your your crew doesn't count toward your your paying passengers, obviously. So well, I mean, there's a lot of times I'll sail with ten or twelve, um, but you know, depending on the amount of or the the length of the trip, I will. Uh, have other captains or no other captains or just a deck hand. Sure. Um, but I did try to do the day sail operation with Libra and do like a, about a thousand dollar sunset cruise, like a, uh, a three and a half hour. It's a thousand bucks. You get heavy hors d'oeuvres, you get all this fancy stuff. And what we figured out was without a, uh, a crew, a full-time crew, this basically, this is their dream job goal to work for basically peanuts mm-hmm. to go and run around town and, and collect all the things that you need to do a trip like that. It's almost not worth it. Right. Um, because we were getting two or three trips, you know, two or three trips that were about $700 a week, you know, $700, uh, each trip a week. Uh, we weren't getting really any day sale business out of the Libra just around here in the Bay. Um, but more so just that we call it our executive sunset cruise. You get a bigger boat, you get all this other stuff. But one of the limitations to this size boat in this area is we have a 55-foot bridge that mm-hmm. goes from our dock to the Gulf. So what it does is that limits us to the bay. Now, the bay is beautiful, but it's hard, hard to really get Libra's legs stretched out when you've got you know a five-mile run this way and a five-mile run that way. By the, by the time you get everything set up and you're doing nine knots, you're on the other side. Right. So now you're tacking around. You know, you're, you're tacking around trying to give these people a nice, uh, comfortable ride, which it is, but there's just a lot of things going on the deck. So we usually end up putting the main and the medicine up and motoring around and making it look like a pretty sailboat. Right. Okay. So just to keep customers, you know, nice and level. And so when you bought the boat three years ago, did you, did you buy the boat? I mean, the story you were telling over in, uh, the shooting the breeze podcasts, so what what was the guy's name again who got it out of the so, um, deeds yeah, and all yeah, that? Yeah, the original stuff. story was uh, his name. Now he's passed away now, but his name okay. was Chauncey Hall. Okay, Chauncey, a uh, great right, guy. Gotcha. He was he was also a Delta Airlines pilot, and he was the one that went down uh, to Key West, found out the story of the boat, why the story was in impound. Um, you know, apparently there was this doctor that lived on the boat aboard in Key West. Sure, ended up. Uh, you know, he was, he was peddling pills off the boat, you know, woke up one day and had a bullet in his brain, you know, so it was a long story about the murder on the boat. The sheriff's office ended up with it. There was work that the guy was trying to get done on the boat. Cause apparently he was trying to skip town. Mm-hmm. Apparently he didn't skip town fast enough. Uh, so there was a lot of lanes placed on the boat and Chauncey was the one that went around and paid off all of those lanes and then went back to the auction and bought the boat because nobody else was going to buy the boat with all the liens on it. Right. So Chauncey paid pennies on the dollar to get all the liens off the boat and then showed up at the auction. And he was the only one that knew that the boat had a free and clear title. Right. So he bought it for pennies on the dollar. And then he brought that boat up here to where it's at now in orange beach, Alabama. And it's been worked on ever since. And that was in the mid nineties. Um, somewhere right in there, early to mid nineties. Uh, they took a few trips down to Mexico with it before they really refit it. And then after that, they started doing the refit where they, they, uh, took the masks off, redid all the rigging, 
uh, got rid of all the roller furling uh, items that were on the boat that were initially installed by the original builder just because they didn't work so well, in my opinion. Right. Looking at the pictures, it didn't look like they worked very well. Um, but there was just a ton of stuff that they did to the boat structurally that I'm glad they did because it was a, a lot of expensive things they did. You know, they rebuilt the, both the booms entirely, uh, set the deck up a little bit different. They straightened the mast, uh, re-welded a bunch of things onto it. You know, it's an all-aluminum mast. It's about as big around as a five-gallon bucket. So it's a, it was a sizable project that he did. And it, and it was one of those things where, you know, he would do it for a while where he would get some money in. And then money would get tight, so it would kind of go by the wayside. Sure. So it never really got finished, and nobody ever touched the inside. Uh, so the inside was kind of in disarray. The galley, being 40 years old, was you know, in need of a complete refit. So uh, he ended up kind of bartering the boat off to another buddy here in town, a friend of his, um, which lives right across from the marina where I run my business now. Mm-hmm. So you know, I saw the boat move over there and I went and talked to him. I said, Hey, you know, you got this boat. He's like, yeah, I got the boat. I'm going to do a few things to it. Uh, and this guy's, uh, you know, he's early seventies or so. So, um, he's real peculiar about things. He's kind of like me. Sometimes he's kind of real OCD as far as the way that he wants things to shape up and look on the boat. Uh, but at the pace that he was going, it was going to be a while. <laughs> like he's 70 now. He, you know, maybe when he was 140, you know, <laughs> things may have started out. Right. So I always told him, I said, look, I'm real interested in the boat. So I would help him at the shipyard every year. He'd haul the boat out. We'd go scrape the bottom and sand and paint and do all the things that you do at the shipyard, you know, just work on things. But I never really got a chance to sail the boat because it, the sails had never been put on the boat. Um, so we, so I, I always put a bug in his ear every time I see him. I say, Hey, when you get ready to sell that boat, you give me a call. Mm-hmm. Um, and so finally one day he did, he, he called and he said, Hey, I'm ready to sell the boat. And so I ran home, got a bad check, you know, wrote it out, <laughs> gave it to him said, here you go. Don't cash it till Monday. You yeah. know? So it was, it was one of those things. Uh, so I got the boat, I, I, I paid cash for it. Um, because there was not any bank in town or any, any boat loan bank that would have financed this boat in the condition that it was in when I purchased it, it was definitely a project boat. Right. So what did you purchase it for? 75,000 is what I purchased the boat for. Okay. Good job. And this is a, and that was in Libra is what kind of a boat? It's a 1969 bill trip custom. So it was, it's a one-off boat. It was built in Bremen, Germany. Um, And that six that set seventy five thousand dollars that I spent, I bought the d- design and the hull and the masts and some decent sails, and that was just yeah. about it. Um, everything else on the boat had to be redone. So, uh, I've you know over the next two years of my refit, uh, I mean I basically moved it three hundred yards from his dock to my marina. Mm-hmm. And which entailed, which, which added another Marina bill for me. Right. right. So now I have two boats sitting at a Marina. Uh, one of them is making money. One of them's, one of them's sucking all of it out. Right. And, and over the was, next two years, I probably three years ago that you did this. Yeah, this was three. Yeah, this was three years ago. So this was, okay. uh, 2014, 2012, I'm sorry, 2013. Okay. Um, yeah. so yeah, 2013, I'm trying to make a game plan on what I want to do with the boat. 
Uh, and I always wanted to do a, a, an offshore sailing school. That's always been one of my dreams. I love sailing offshore. I've done a lot of it. Um, on my boats, I do deliveries in the winter. Even before I had this, when I had Sail OB, I met so many people that on day sales that had boats that were buying boats that were going around going for a ride on my boat just to see if they liked it because they wanted to buy a boat. So a lot of those customers of mine in the day sale business turned into delivery customers in the winter. Right. Um, so they would just call me and say, Hey, I bought a boat. It's in, you know, Jacksonville, Florida. Can you bring it around to Mississippi for me? And I'd be like, sure I can, you know, why not? Let's go get it. So we did a lot of those. I took a lot of boats out of the Caribbean. Um, so my offshore experience was there, but it was always on other people's boats. You know, my Irwin, I took down to the Keys and we bounced around the Bahamas and, you know, when I first got it. And that was my introduction to this area of cruising and, and everything in this area. So when I got down to the Caribbean in uh, probably 2007 or eight, uh, and started cruising down there some, I would do some deliveries, get them from the West coast of Florida or the East coast of Florida down into the Caribbean. And then I'd usually spend about three or four days down there. just kind of hanging out, checking everything out, seeing what's going on. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's kind of funny because the Marina that we have here in Orange Beach, Alabama, we actually have a parasail operation in St. Thomas. That's right there out of, uh, just North of Red Hook, oh, gotcha. just kind of around the corner. It's uh, been there for a couple of years now. So, Every time I go to St. Thomas, at least I got a dock and a marina that I can go hang out at. Nice. Nice. So so now you take – so this is like the first is, – so is this the first year that you finally said, all right, Libra is ready to go. We're going to start taking people offshore? Yep. Yeah, it's been in business now for a year. Um, so this boat, like I said, it went through about a two-year, $250 or so thousand dollar refit. Mm-hmm. Um, um to try to get it back up to basically, you know, it's hard to say that a boat's ever a hundred percent. So I'm going to say that it's, it's always at 95%. It'll probably be that way till the day I die. Um, so there's always something to do on it, but yeah, for about a year, the first, now I've done, I did shake, I did a lot of shakedown cruises with no passengers. Um, before I said, Hey, let's start taking students on board. Uh, um, because I wanted to make sure that it performed like I thought it should. And I wanted to make sure that, nothing broke, <laughs> you know, right. we, we busted a few chain plates along the way, but, uh, you know, we did that all, all on our own and we were really trying to stress the boat out. I mean, I've, I've had the boat in full sail and 45 knots of wind on a, on a beam reach just to see how far, just to see what it takes to really make the, the boat hum to where you feel uncomfortable with it. <laughs> um, you know, right, yeah. right on the, you that know, right on that. the verge of breaking things because I figure if I break it with me on it, it's not that big a deal. Right. But, excuse me, I had a phone call coming in there. All right. So if I break it with me on it, it's not that big a deal. But if I break it with other people on it, then it's more of a big of a deal. So I took it through some pretty rigorous uh, sea trials. We went basically all the way down to Panama from here in one fell swoop, mm-hmm. which was about 1,000, 1,200 and so miles um, just to just to see what it would do. And it performed magically. Uh, we did bust a chain plate uh, during that time. We got all that fixed as soon as we got back. Um, the sails were in great shape. Uh, you know, because remember, I had never sailed this boat. So when we did our shakedown cruises, we spent about two months doing those. And I probably put about 
3,000 miles or so, you know, in that time mm-hmm. uh, on the boat because I was just going constantly. I mean, we'd be, we would be going, we would come, we came back up from Panama and went to the Keys and then went from the Keys back to Isma Harris, Isma Harris back to Pensacola, back to Tampa, you know, just running the, and, and weather conditions to me at the time, you know, we're out of hurricane season. So we get a lot of winter storms, um, but they're always real uh, predictable. So our winter storms in the Gulf are a lot more predictable than in the Northeast where you'll get, you know, 40, 50 mile an hour winds. You know, down here, we're going to get 30 knots of wind, maybe 45 on a really heavy storm, but they're only going to last about a day before they start clocking around to the east because with that much, inten- with that much intensity, they're going to keep clocking around. Right. Gotcha. So we put it through, we put it through some big stuff, but the biggest seas that I've had it in really are about 15 feet. And that's nothing compared to going down to uh, the BVIs where I took a boat down there from West Palm Beach, Florida to the BVIs down I-65. Uh, you know, basically where you go about 700 miles due east mm-hmm. and then hang a right, right, and ride the uh, ride the trade winds down. We were in 20 to 25 foot stuff. Then I was in an O-Day 39 with about a three and a half foot draft. And I said, yep, this will be my last delivery. <laughs> yeah, I think you were telling that story on uh, with, with Jeffrey. Uh, I listened to that. But um, so that's great. So. You've got a few trips. You do it a little bit differently on Libra, though. It is kind of like a per-passenger thing, and you do basically offshore trips with it, correct? And, and that's kind of how yeah. you do it? Yeah, you they're do strictly, these and, yeah, they're strictly offshore trips. They are. Uh, it's a per-passenger uh, rate. So you sign up. Uh, you sign all your, your documents online. You, know, you do your waiver forms and everything like that. You sign up for whatever leg you want to go on. We have a schedule posted out on sailelibra.com now for our early 2017 passages, um, one of which is to the Miami Boat Show because Libra is going to be in the Miami Boat Show uh, this year. I don't know if you plan on attending or not. I know you're at Annapolis, um, but we're supposed to have some pretty pretty fun happenings down there, and we got a lot of great people lined up that are going to come uh, come hang out on the boat and come tour the boat and um I just wanted to have a spot to kind of show it off because a lot of people have never seen a boat that was custom built in 1969 by Bill Tripp Jr., which is one of the real famous yacht designers of the era. You know, he did, he did the, the Hinkley's and the uh, Columbia's and the Corolla's and the, all these uh, really cool boats that people love and fall in love with that hold their value so well. I mean, even if you're looking at Bill Tripp Jr. boats now, I mean, they're way up there. I mean, they're over, they're still over a hundred thousand dollars and, they were built in the early seventies, late sixties. Right. Yeah. I, 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 I agree. Um, no, it's a, it's a great boat to go see. And, and I, uh, I totally agree with you. And I think it's a good plan on your part to go to the Miami boat show. I don't know that I'll be there or not, uh, just yet. It would be fun to be there, but, um, I haven't made it's any, it's any... Street. what's that? I said, it's only just down the street from Atlanta. Yeah. No big deal. No big deal. I, you, Get on 75, get on 95, and you're there. <laughs> right on, right on. It only takes a couple hours, probably about as long to drive yeah, there as, as it will for you to sail there from Pensacola. No, Yeah, uh, it's going to take four days to get there. Yeah, but yeah, I mean, it would certainly be fun to go to, but I think that's an excellent plan for you anyway. And uh, yeah, I mean, I'm looking at your trips now, and it looks like you're uh, set up to have a lot of fun. Now, uh, I mean, is the boat, I don't, 
I don't think you can have anybody else join you for the Havana trip due to the fact that it would, at this point, you're leaving on, well, it says December 27th, so right now it's the 18th. Um, Yeah, that's only a few days away, and you'd have a little bit of paperwork to do if anybody decided to try and join you now. Yeah, yeah, the the paperwork uh, paperwork part is over with now. Um, You can't add anybody to your paperwork unless you do a full resubmittal. Uh-huh. Um, so I've already got that trip's already booked out. We had a lot of great people that signed up on that. Um, so I'm really looking forward to that trip. Uh, and then we have the, we, you know, we go from Pensacola to Havana mm-hmm. to do a rally. Uh, and then we're, we're done with that in just a few days. And then we go to Key West after there, we check in and then in just a day or two, uh, we reset the boat up and we go from there back to Pensacola. Now, if weather permits, because uh, always in the wintertime, it's it's always weird. In the in the wintertime, we get a lot of cold fronts come down, kind of blow out of the north. So if we can get to the dry Tortugas and anchor up safely, I always like to do at least one night in dry Tortugas, either on the way down or on the way back. So okay. if we can do that, we will. If not, then we just do uh, Key West to Pensacola. It was 450 miles. It's a good offshore leg. Uh, you know, you're going to get three nights at sea typically. Um, and these are trips like, I know that some of the other guys that do this do some really long haul trips. And right now I'm, I'm focusing mainly on, uh, the Gulf of Mexico and the Western Caribbean. So all the way down to Panama, uh, Roatan and Honduras, Isla Mujeres in Mexico, uh, and Havana. Sure. Um, you know, th- those are the, the destinations. I'm more of a, you know, you leave point A, you get to point B and you fly out. Gotcha. Uh, of course, right. a lot of people by the time they get to the other side, they're already ready to get back on the boat. So even on this last trip, we had two people that went down that weren't planning on coming back. And this is when we went to Isla Maharish just a week ago mm-hmm. or two weeks ago. Uh, when we got there, they said, you know what? We're not flying back. We're, we're, we're taking the boat back. Yeah. So they so into it and, and enjoyed it so much that they wanted to see what the conditions were when it's not a sleigh ride because going south in the Gulf in the winter is great. Right. Going north in the Gulf is typically a beat. Now we, we did have really good conditions coming back. So we had 25 knots on the beam all the way. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we really got going and we did 214 miles one day, yeah. you know, 24 hour period. So, you know, we're averaging 8.67 knots. It was, uh, it was really nice. And when you're pushing 72,000 pounds of boat through the water at that speed, that's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> it, it feels like a freight train. It yeah. sounds like a freight train. It's really, it's loud. You're moving so much water and, and the boat doesn't, I was telling Jeffrey this, but the boat doesn't pound and it drafts 16 feet. Right. Yeah. So yeah. when you do get up wave, when you come off the back of the wave, you just kind of go straight down. There's no, there's no big heel. There's no big lean. Now, I'm not saying that it doesn't happen when all the stars line up correctly, but for the majority of the time, this boat is a very stable uh, very upright boat. I mean, when you're heeling over, you're going to stay at that heel. You're not going to keep dipping down and dipping the rail. Mm-hmm. It's going to stay at that one spot. Cool. I mean, this uh, it sounds like uh, you're having a lot of fun with it. Now, is this the first? So, I mean, you say it's been that that Libra has been in like the business for a year. Did you do this last winter with uh, Libra as well? Yeah, we did. We took. We actually did our first official trip was down uh, to Havana. Uh, back last Halloween. Okay. So a year ago, basically a little over a year ago, we did the first um, Pensacola to Havana race. 
Uh, and this was the first race in 50 something years. that was considered an ocean race from anywhere in the States mm-hmm. to Havana. So the only one that had, the only ones that were doing it before us was the comp Republic. Um, you know, going out of Key West down there. Uh, but we were the first, I guess, I guess if you want to call it sanctioned, we were the first fully legal race that went to Havana where everybody knew it. Everybody knew we were coming. We had great parties there. And on that trip I had, it was uh, myself, two other captains, an engineer, two first mates, and then six passengers. So we had a full slew of folks on the boat. We had 12 people on the boat for that trip. Now the boat sleeps 13. But that's if you really like each other. Yeah. You know, right. You have to, to sleep 13 people. So we had a great time in Havana. We were there for about three days, I think. Mm-hmm. So we were able to do just a little bit of exploring in between the uh, yacht club activities that were going on. And we did some import races uh, with the Cubans there around Havana Harbor. Um, and then after that, we did another uh, Havana run in April. Uh, and just because just in the spring, I was kind of getting my day sale operation going again right so when we got back from that trip for me to start getting ready for the other ones and we i decided to kind of take a little two and a half week break and we went and we ran another rally with uh wally moran sure had a rally going down in may okay so we ran that rally with him and then came back up and we had another trip from you know key west to pensacola so i try to fill the legs that way so every every trip is a leg except for havana which we always continue on the Key West. Right. Gotcha. Cool. But yeah, uh, this year is a lot busy. 2017 is going to be cranking out. And then in uh, late, two seven, late 2017, we've been talking about heading on down to Panama and uh, doing a Panama transit. Right. And then going to the Galapagos, then Galapagos back to the canal, back through the canal, and then back to Pensacola. So that should be... Uh, a very interesting trip, especially trying to do it on a timeline. Yeah, well, that's what I was about to say. Doing all that on a timeline, and then I—I I mean, you got to take, you know, take into account the costs involved with going through the canal twice. But um, exactly. But uh, but I mean, it sounds like a lot. You of can fun. throw. Money. I mean, how how long do you think that trip would take? I mean, it sounds like a pretty long trip. Yeah, I haven't put any numbers to it yet. Uh, like hard numbers to it. Mm-hmm. I know that when you get to the Panama Canal, because uh, when last time I was there, I just said, "Say how long does it take? How long does it take to go through?" They say, "Well, you can go through on a budget with everybody else, where they raft all the boats together, or you can just give us twenty five hundred bucks and go through today, you know, or the next day, something like that, right? Right. Um, and they'll stick you in with somebody else. So it's all about money, you know, money talks. So if you want to get through the canal, and my boat's a little larger at sixty feet, so it could be more or less than that. But I do know that that most of the people that transit that are cruisers that transit the Panama Canal, they they go down there and they end up waiting, you know, three, four, five days, maybe a week or a week and a half before they get that spot that their boat fits in to where they can go through as a flotilla to where it takes the cost down. Right. Uh, but then they, you know, that's option A. Option B is is you just keep putting hundred dollar bills on the table until they say whoa, and then they let you go in, you know, the day the next day or the day after. Sure. Okay. Yeah. It, Which is typically from what I, from what I've heard. I haven't done it, so listeners don't be uh don't be hold me to this, but it should be somewhere between two thousand and three thousand dollars to just go. Right. Whereas you know on the budget on the budget round, you can probably get through for about a thousand. 
Well, and then would you make it a few different trips? As in, like, would you make the um, you, would all you yeah, make... all the legs? Would be okay, I lost you for a second. You said so. All the legs would be different trips, is what you're saying? Yeah, right. right. Okay, so we do Pensacola to Panama, which would be a, a pretty serious um, offshore trip. Sale, yeah, offshore trip. Right? You're looking at uh, you know, thirteen hundred miles, or or give or take a few there. Right. Um. So that's a pretty serious offshore leg there for one fell swoop. And then when we get there, those people fly out because we probably beat them up enough by that point. Uh, so they're going to fly out of there and we'll have a new group fly in on the uh, Caribbean side. Mm-hmm. They'll transit the canal and then they'll go on to the Galapagos, which okay. is about another five or six day sail on the other side. Um, it only takes a day to get through the canal once you get started. So they require you to get in the canal, get to the other side and get out. Right. Um, so then you can anchor up. You can anchor up on the Pacific side. You can go into town. You can do whatever you want to do, and then we'll shoot on over to the Galapagos. And then I'll have a group. That group flies out of the Galapagos. Another group flies into the Galapagos. Gets to explore for a few days. Sail back to Panama. Go through the canal, and then they'll depart on the Caribbean side. And I have another pretty hardcore offshore group that'll fly into Panama on the Caribbean side and come all the way back to Pensacola. Gotcha. So it'll be several different. Oh, yeah. uh, legs and trips and several, stuff like that that you'll set up with legs. all that. Yeah, and I try to keep uh, just so, just so more people can do these trips because I know a lot of guys that do the offshore stuff. Um, some of their trips run into day you know twenty days, right? Uh, and I know it's hard. I know it's hard for people to get off for twenty days. I mean, I had a job. I know what it's like, and so I feel like if I can keep my legs a, a little shorter, then I'll have a lot more clientele that I can reach out to that'll be able to go with me. Yeah, um, if you know, if, if I'm running a 20 day trip, I mean, I'd love to have you on my boat for 20 days because you'd learn a ton of stuff. Um, but it's hard for everybody to get off for 20 days, right? You know, you, you gotta be pretty much retired if you get off work for 20 days. Yeah, I mean, that's that's uh, one of the things that I look at with a lot of, with a lot of these things is, uh, you know, I, I look at some of these offshore trips and I'm like, I'd love to go and join and do that, but I don't know that I can gotta- take those full two weeks at one time off uh from work is difficult to do like i mean i get you know three weeks off a year but i it is not necessarily good for me to take more than one week one full week at a time so uh right and see i understand that's why a lot of my like i base all my trips on seven days so when you take seven days off you really get nine because you Mm -hmm. get the weekend before five days and then the weekend after so that's nine days right so that gives you some airplane riding days is what i call them so we call isla maharis a seven-day trip gotcha when when in reality it takes me four days to get there from here right so you fly in here on friday we leave on a saturday we get down there you get to have a couple of good fun days there that way we make sure we get you there in time for your plane Mm -hmm. and then you can fly out on saturday or sunday yeah. Um, and then you only took that five days off from work. So that's how we try to schedule our trips is to where people, you know, just like yourself that, that have that schedule that they kind of have to adhere to with their career, mm-hmm. but they can still have the fun time in between without, without having to plan two years out. Right. You know, 
Yeah, gotcha. Uh, yeah, no, that sounds um, that sounds like a great way to do it um, because I, you know, I know I'm in that position, and I know several other people are in that position as well. And um, you know, it sounds like that Isla Mihuras, uh, you know, that schedule that that you just laid out, it gives you a, a day or two on either side uh, as far as weather is concerned. It sounds like as well, correct? Yeah, as far as, yeah, with with the weather and everything, you know which we do schedule everything out of hurricane season, but you never know what the weather's going to hold. Right. Uh, you know, we haven't, we don't really have a set policy on as far as, and we will in the future, I know, but right now we haven't had the need for one, although it will arise, uh, just because we're not taking those, you know, winter North Atlantic trips over to Europe, you know, right. to where, to where you get a racer that comes through and sits there for five or six days and you just can't physically untie your boat from the dock. It's blowing so hard. Right. Um, if we're, I mean, I, I'm comfortable in this boat, anything up to about 35, 40 knots of wind. If they're predicting it, that's fine. The boat can set up real well for those conditions. And it gives the, it gives the passengers, you know, real world experience. Mm-hmm. Um, so conditions like that don't bother me. I'll leave anticipating those conditions, but we'll always have the boat set up to where we know that it's coming. We know what we have to do. Everybody gets briefed. Uh, you will, you, we reef everything down as much as we need to. We maintain boat speed. You know, like I said, we're, we draft 16 feet, we're 72,000 pounds. And in the Gulf, we're not going to get those 20 foot waves. Uh, they just don't happen. Now we get a lot of chop. We get a lot of 10 foot chop, which is really uncomfortable sometimes, uh, on other boats, but I've been in it on Libra a lot and it's just really not as uncomfortable on this boat as it is on a lot of the other ones I've been, even some in similar size. Um, some of the newer model boats or newer boats that are just a, you know, a lot lighter weight built, gotcha. they'll just beat you to death. I mean, you kind yeah. of, you fly off the top of a wave and you just fall off the back of it because there's no back on the wave and you go all the way to the bottom and just pound the whole boat shakes, the mass shakes. You think the whole thing's coming apart. Right. Yeah, no, I, I hear you. Um, but that's, uh, it's great that, um, that Libra does so well in those conditions and, uh, I agree. You know, the Gulf of Mexico sounds uh, like it's probably a little easier than the North Atlantic or something like that in the wintertime. So. Yeah, I mean, uh, and I haven't personally sailed in the North Atlantic, so I would never want to speculate there. But, you know, from what I've seen, especially after, even after the past few days of just looking at like uh, windy tea and uh, passage weather and stuff like that, some of those guys that are taking trips up right now are getting their uh, their tails whooped. Yeah, yeah. Gotcha. Well, Ryan, um, I, I, we've been talking for a little over an hour, and uh, I got to let you go. I got a holiday thing to a uh, holiday party thing to get to this evening. I got to go grab a shower and uh, get out to that. But um, where can every? So, I mean, if people want to get on Libra, they should head on over to saillibra.com and kind of check out your schedule over there. Uh, yeah, I think there's join a sale up at the top of the webpage. And they can kind of scroll exactly. down and see what your see what your schedule's looking like, and go ahead and um, I mean they can book right from there. It looks like uh, yeah, they know, can they it, can book right from there. We uh, I'll call them after they actually fill out the form and accept all the terms and conditions and everything. Right, I'll give them a call and talk to them just to uh, you know go over everything with them, make sure that they're in, in full understanding of what it's about. And then after that, we basically just send them an invoice. Mm-hmm. Um, and the terms on the invoice, you pay so much within 30 days and then 30 days it's, it's due, but, uh, it's an easy process. Uh, and then after that, you're typically going to fly into one of those destinations. So sure. you're going to fly into, you know, Cancun, 
Pensacola, Roatan, um, or Key West. Uh, there's not really flying into Havana yet, uh, just because we don't really make that a legitimate stop as far as uh, transferring passengers on and off the boat. Right. But yeah, everything's there, you know, and we'd love to have you. I mean, it's uh, it's something that even just these few trips that we've done this year already, everybody's coming back. I mean, we had a guy that was on Isla Harris and he's going to Havana with us. So <laughs> great. he said, he's like, he got off the boat and he said, I can't wait to get back on. So sign me up for Havana. So he's doing Havana for new years and then on the key West. Uh, it's just a, it's a great atmosphere. You know, you show up six kind of strangers and you leave with uh, six or seven best friends. I mean, that's, that's kind of how it works out. Yeah. Yeah. And it sounds like a lot of fun and, uh, you know, hopefully I'll, I'll get to get down there and meet you in person and join you, uh, one of these days. Maybe it'll be at the Miami sailboat show. We'll see. Um, but yeah, yeah, sure, if, 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 yeah. If, yeah for only five hours, I, I did the drive a long time. Remember? Uh, I know. I hear you. I got you. Uh, yeah. I mean, um, so yeah, that, that's a good point as well. I can always, uh, you know, drive down to Pensacola or well, uh, to orange beach actually either, either way and, yeah and meet up with you guys so um yeah well thanks for taking the time to talk ryan that's a lot of good insight you know i um i you know i was a little bit curious about how you started and set up the whole the whole business thing and the and the charter thing and everything else just because that kind of sounds interesting to me and it's it's really it's really awesome that you're you know you're a 38 year old guy that's living on the water making you know, living, living the way you want to live, you know, um, having fun doing it, it sounds like. And so, you know, if people are down in the orange beach, Pensacola area, they want to go for a sale. Um, you know, they should look you up over there as well. Uh, sailob.com if they're over there in the summer. Right. And then, uh, saillibra.com if they want to take a longer, uh, longer passage during the winter with you. So, um, and we'd, and we'd love to have them. We'd love to have them. We get a lot, a lot of great people show up. So I, I can't, I can't expect anything else except greatness out of everybody. Yeah, yeah, it's great. Um, again, thank you very much, Ryan. It was it was really awesome talking to you, and um, and I'm sure we'll be in touch uh, in in the future. So, Thanks. all right, Teddy, I sure do appreciate it. Thanks everybody for listening. Yeah, yeah. Well, thank you all so much for listening. Uh, and first, before I get into too much outro stuff or whatever else, I've got to say, you heard me mention um, Jeffrey Wedig and the Shooting the Breeze podcast a couple times in the uh, when I was talking with Ryan. And I highly suggest that you go over to theescapepods.com and check out uh, the interviews that he's got over there. I mean, check out all of his podcasts, really. Check out all the, and check out all the Shooting the Breeze podcasts that he has. Um, and uh, I, like I said, I didn't want to regurgitate what, uh, you know, they had already talked about, and I didn't. Um, um, in this episode, we kept it a little bit more numbers heavy, a little bit more like about the business and how the heck he was actually able to afford some things and, and do what he did and everything else. Um, there's a few more stories in there or there, the stories are a little bit longer, you know, about, um, how the heck he got Libra and how the, why Libra was, um, you know, being auctioned off by the, um, coast guard or whoever it was by and and there are a few other stories he's got two episodes over there with ryan and uh they're really really very good um so i'd highly suggest that you go over there and check those out as always you can of course find those links on the show notes at sailute.com slash episode 044 
Okay, so you guys like kind of want to know about this, uh, how to get you know a little bit of a discount, right? So you can save two hundred and fifty dollars on your trip, at least the trip to go to um, from Pensacola to Miami with uh, Sail Libra by basically referencing um, Sail Loot or using Sail Loot as a reference. Uh, now, if you go over to saillibra.com slash join dash a dash sale, and of course, that link is in the show notes, um, There, and you click on the uh, book your trip, I think it's called book your trip, give me just a second, yep, book now, and you scroll down to uh, that um, that sale, and you say book now. And it'll bring you over to a, to a form. And it's basically an application. You can fill it out right there on the web, everything else. And the first thing that's there is a question that says, how did you find us? So in the drop-down box that's there for that question, go ahead and click on that drop-down box. And you will see Sale Loot listed there. So go ahead and click on Sale Loot so that that's entered into that spot for how did you find Libra. And then right below that, there is a section for a promo code and of course the promo code that you want to use is sale loot just how it looks up there in the how did you find us section in the how did you find us drop down go ahead and enter that that's s-a-i-l-l-o-o-t all one word and you will get the discount in order to join us on the sale what you'll get is uh 250 off on the trip per per person and if there, if you have a group of two or more, uh, you will also get discounted group rates. And you know what what you'll be paying for is basically everything that you'll need, at least for that trip. You will get boat show tickets. You will get to ride on a to be part of sailing uh, these this sixty foot Bill Trip Junior custom designed sail amazing sailboat called Libra. Um, across the Gulf of Mexico for three to five days. Of course, all of the emergency equipment, basically such as life vests, AIS, all, all those other things, are already there for you on the boat. Um, communication devices are on the boat. Um, food, yeah, sorry, food provisioning is done for you and will be on the boat. You might even buy a, you know, a round of beer or something like that. Uh, we might even stop in Key West. If we get to Key West in enough time and we've got a day to, to spend in Key West, we might even stop there. It all kind of depends on how long it takes us to get there. And then uh, from there, the next morning, we'll get up and head up to Miami because that takes about a day or so. And I think that he probably needs to be there either on Wednesday evening with Libra or on uh, Thursday morning. So anyway, there's a little bit of a discount for you if you kind of just reference sale loot. Um, and when you go ahead and you fill out that uh, application or you fill out that form that he has everybody fill out in order to get up up there and then uh, he will send you an invoice for the rest of it. So I hope to see you guys there. Um, if you are planning on joining us for that, let me know. I'd love to know like who's visiting and who you know kind of heard this and said, hey, we like, heard about that from you and we're going to go ahead and get on the boat and have, have an awesome time. So uh, it should be a lot of fun. If you have any questions about anything, uh, as always, uh, please feel free to email me at teddyj at sailloot.com. 
Um, if you'd like to know how to set up your own sailing blog or your own website or maybe even a podcast, head on over to sailloot.com and click on the Way Anchor page. There's a quick video over there that will help you get started. You can also ask anything about sailing, learning to sail, cruising, or anything else that you want. Uh, just shoot me an email about your sailing experiences and your stories because I love them. I love to hear them. If you want to help support the Sail Loot podcasts, you can use the affiliate links that you'll find over on the Sail Loot resources page. Uh, and you can also just spread the loot love. Share. Share this to on all of your social media outlets or throw a link up on your sailing blog or anything like that. The sharing helps a whole lot to spread the word and get this out to as many people as possible. And I'd like to just inspire as many people as possible to kind of kind of do what Ryan did and take action and, you know, get out from behind that desk if that's what you want to do and find something that you love and go do it. Of course, you can find us at sailloot.com, facebook.com slash sailloot, and on Twitter at sailloot. You can sign up for the sailloot email rally, leave a review for the podcast, and, subs- and subscribe to the podcast in iTunes all in one place over at sailloot.com slash podcast review. Thank you again so much for listening. I hope that all of you can find a way to find your sail loot to live a life rich in experiences. I hope to meet all of you out on the water, fair winds, and following seas, and peace and love.